0: And when I realized that what was is what happened, and I can't change it by going back and saying, if only this had happened differently, but God is completely aware of what happened. And only if I see him in the situation can I be
1: healed of that what if. Welcome back to the Prepare Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Hanton. We're continuing our series on mental health. And today's guest is author Wendy Gordon Hill. Wendy is a wife and a mom who has walked a painful road through her son's substance addiction. But it's through this that she has written a book entitled Watching the Wayward, Psalms for Parents of Prodigals, which is a collection of prayer poems, much like David's Psalms, paired with the truths from God's word. And as you read, you get a picture of Jesus' parable of the prodigal son from Luke 15 which parallels her own story of the devastating journey of her son's addiction. She also writes from a mother's love, never giving up hope for redemption and restoration through Jesus. And you'll quickly see how Wendy's experience relates closely to mental health as she takes us through her powerful testimony of God's relentless grace in her life. Here's my conversation with Wendy. Welcome, Wendy, to our podcast. Hi, nice to be here. Yeah, thank you again so much for just taking a moment to talk to us about this really important topic I really feel like we need to keep talking about this, um, if anything, to normalize the conversation and bring awareness to people who struggle with mental health and how it affects us all, not just not just those who are struggling with mental health, but it also affects family members and friends around them. And we all kind of are on our own mental health journey. My daughter said it best, we're on, a, it's a spectrum, you know, we can be on two ends of the spectrum or somewhere in between at all times. So it's just, it's a very important topic, very um, relevant right now. Yes. So we want to know just a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about um, your family. Okay.
0: My husband and I have three sons. Um, My oldest lives in Dallas. He is 26 and he is a chemical engineer. And then I have two teenage sons at home I have my 18-year-old, Trevor, and my youngest, Sean, is 16 and chomping at the bit to drive right now. (laughs) Oh, my
1: son, too. He's taking driver's ed right now. Yeah. (laughs) It's scary. (laughs) It it is. So walk us through some of your upbringing. Um, I know that you are the daughter of Salvation Army officers, but the Salvation Army hasn't always been your church. Um, But just tell us a little bit about how you came up. Um.
0: I was raised in the Salvation Army. I'm the daughter of officers, and that brings with it its own pressures to be a model child, the example before others in a community. And I'm sure that my own expectations for myself and my future children were formed in that furnace. God gave me a very compliant personality. I dread getting anyone's displeasure, especially my parents' displeasure. And it was around the time that my officer parents were moved to a very isolated community. And in my loneliness there, God began to show me how much I had built my life and my um, Christianity on the trappings of Christianity. You know, Mm. my friends, the church, compliant behavior. And he began to lead me into a deeper relationship with him and eventually away from the army through my marriage. But the marvelous thing about a relationship with God is that he never lets it stagnate. He is mm-hmm. constantly growing us.
1: Relentlessly pursuing us.
0: Yes, he is definitely relentlessly pursuing us and stretching us into areas that we weren't thinking we would end up. Mm-hmm. Um, very early in my marriage, something dreadful happened that shook my faith in God and in his people. The church that I was involved with, their their response alienated me in such a way that I did not feel comfortable among them. They kind of implied that if we had been more vigilant, perhaps uh, meaning better Christians, that this wouldn't have happened. And the ramifications of that serious situation were such that they didn't want to get involved. They didn't want to have the possibility of something like that rubbing off on them. And that then pushed me away And it also was a spiritual aspect of distrust of God, because if God allowed this evil to happen when I was following a directive from him to reach out to someone, then can I really trust this God? And so at that point, it became very difficult for me to stand and sing hymns about God's love when it felt to me like God's love hadn't shielded me from the effects of evil in this world. So I stopped attending church. I rarely opened my Bible. But as hard as I fled him, he continued to pursue me, just as you said, and to remind me of his faithful love to me. And it took me a long time of wandering away from him. Before I was ready to come back and say, well, yes, being tried by fire solidifies my faith and makes me realize that no matter what God brings into my life, no matter what evil touches me as I'm reaching out in this evil world, I can trust that he will hold me and go with me through it, even if other Christians don't often go with me through it, you know? Right, yeah. And every summer I took my sons to CBLI and through the Bible classes there, and I say especially through the enthusiasm and encouragement of Linda Himes, I began to hunger for God's word. And if I hadn't gone through that departure and then return, I might not have been able to get through this teenage rebellion of my son.
1: Right. Um, I, my life was changed at CBLI too. I love that you said that. Central Bible yeah. and Leadership Institute shout out (laughs) right so wendy you have written a a fantastic book called watching the wayward psalms for parents of prodigals and when i sat down to read it i thought i was going to read a story of you know like a narrative going through your your story Mm -hmm. but it's not i was reading prayers that you cried out to the lord and it's beautiful and then With the scripture you included at the end of each one, I mean, I just was moved. You write about a mother's love, never giving up hope for redemption and restoration. And I was able to identify with a lot of what you wrote about, not because I experienced the exact same thing you went through, but just... In, as a mom or what would I do? I tried to put myself in your shoes. Would I have the kind of faith that you write about and the kind of waywarding you yourself went on a journey <laughs> as well of doubt and, and other things. And you just explained some of that, but right. what would I have done in, in that situation or, you know, heaven forbid, if I ever have to walk that situation. So tell us a little bit about the purpose behind writing your book, Watching the Wayward? Well, I'll start
0: with kind of how it all began for us we woke one november morning in 2019 to a path of disarray in our house Um, folded clothes were knocked over our ancient wall phone was dangling by the cord Mm. there was a picture with um, glass in it a glass front and thankfully amazingly it was unbroken but lying on its face on the floor and both of the bathroom sinks were running and there was our son standing at the sink staring into it and when he was asked what he was doing he said i'm measuring the sink well nothing prepares you for that moment when you realize that your child has a significant problem and there's no manual that tells you oh well when this happens this is how you should respond and i don't even know now if our response was the best one but we let him uh, come down gradually from it in his room from this stoned state that he was in. And we um, feared that he wouldn't cooperate with a drug test from us. So we just sent him to school the next morning and I phoned the school and I said, could you please drug test my son? Wow. And of course he felt terribly betrayed by us. And so he ran away from home three times. Mm. The third time that he ran away from home, he was returned in handcuffs and as the police presented his options of either going to juvie or abiding by our rules in our home, he stated that we were his biggest problem. And at the outset of this journey, I couldn't do more than stare into space and mumble prayers, but Mm -hmm. I didn't even know how or what to pray. So when our son identified us as the problem, it prompted my first prayer poem, which is at the beginning of the book And then the floodgates just seemed to open and more and more poetry followed. And as I poured my heart out to the Lord in these poems, I felt very keenly this sense that there are many parents who can't even articulate the emotions that they're going through because the path can be so lonely and perilous. And sometimes it feels like it'll be never ending. I've been writing novels and things for about a dozen years with no real tangible proof of my writing, but this writing felt too important to just leave it in a file on my computer. I knew that there were other parents out there who would relate to the anguish that is expressed in these prayer poems, and they might feel encouragement and hope from the words that God gave me.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. So let's talk about how this experience relates to our topic of mental health. Substance use disorder and mental health conditions are often very closely related. And then the stress and the pain experienced by family members can leave their own mental health at risk. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about, did you have any warning before what was, you found your son? I mean, did you have any kind of inkling um,
0: well, after my son broke his leg during a football game, it seemed like his personality changed overnight. He became distant, he was surly, he was caustic, he was secretive. Um, when I in one of the poems I talk about how when you look at photos from before and after this event, you can see a visible change. And you don't get that same kind of smile, that bright enthusiasm that used to be there. And so we didn't trust him. We couldn't put our finger on the why, but we began checking his bags before he would leave the house. And yet we never found anything. So it was just this question of something's up with him, but I'm not sure what. And I knew that he was experiencing some anxiety. He Mm -hmm. had explained to us that there was a lot of anxiety that he was dealing with. And I think a lot of young people today do have far more anxiety than we experienced growing up. There are just so many things coming at them from all these directions. They have access to more things, which would seem like a positive, but in a lot of ways can be a very negative thing for a young person without the maturity level of an adult to filter through all of those things that are coming in.
1: Yeah, you just had that mother's intuition or that parent intuition to say something is off. Something's not quite right, I can't put my finger on it. You tried to do your due diligence, but you know, like things get past us too. Yeah. So you talked about your son's anxiety. Um, Do you think that his anxiety led to, you know how it's easy to cross the line when you get to a certain point, when you're beat down, when you're tired, Right. Do you feel like your son's anxiety led him to that breaking point where he was just willing to step over that line?
0: It definitely put him seeking seeking something that would alleviate that um, that feeling or that sense of of threat. I would say my prodigal is very much like me and has an emotional approach to life, whereas his brothers seem to have more of a cerebral approach to life. Okay. Um, but like me, he feels things deeply and he experiences anxiety. And ever since my first pregnancy ended in miscarriage, I have battled clinical depression. So I worried that my depression somehow passed on to him and seeped into his psyche Mm. so we would ask him why he was using and he very often would outright say he's using the drugs because the drugs are a way of self-medicating his anxiety so he clearly believes that using is helping to to take care of and handle this intense anxiety
1: wow Okay. And yeah. that's
0: that, that's a lie from the devil. You oh. know, the devil would like him to believe that the answer to this anxiety is found in a substance. Yep, And yet our answers to any anxiety is to cast our cares on him for he careth for us.
1: Yes. Amen. So what kind of professional help did you explore for your son during this time? <laughs> that's kind of interesting. Um, a few months after we
0: Uh, you know, discovered his drug use. He was caught with drugs at school and he was expelled. And at that point we went in search of a counselor. Um, But it was very difficult because I knew my son and I believed that he would only respond to a male therapist. So we found a Christian counseling center nearby and we found a male counselor and he started in with the therapy with this counselor going once a week but sadly it didn't work out for us this particular counselor informed us that he was severing the relationship and he intended to shift um, my son to a female counselor oh, no. so we ended up abandoning that counseling it may have just been that this wasn't the right counselor you know maybe we just didn't find a good fit
1: yeah and that's that and that happens and sometimes it's taking a shot in the dark and you just hope for the best but it's just not a good fit. Personalities don't line up or fill in the blank, whatever. So you discovered that this was not a good fit for your son. Then where did you go from there?
0: Well, at the same time that the this counselor was saying he wanted to switch my son to a female counselor, this was right at the moment of the pandemic lockdowns. Mm. And I had been thinking already that what he needed was something or I'd been feeling a nudge to find him some kind of help that was out in nature with animals. Just something inside my soul felt like he would benefit from something with animals. Mm. And so I had been searching and I found this organization that's nearby that's called Ben's Ranch Mm. and they pair troubled young people mostly with a mental health emphasis but also just generally troubled with ranch internships working with horses and so my son spent a full year working in one of their internships at a therapeutic riding center nearby and it was great for us because um he was learning to drive at the time and he was a captive audience he would be driving with me in the car and once we'd arrive, he'd go work in the stalls doing his job. And I would sit on there in their office area on my computer composing poems. Oh,
1: wow. And
0: so it was it was perfect. And the fact that it was a time of doing at home learning, which was unheard of before then, um, it just coincided to really bring that to light. And the story of Ben's Ranch is kind of interesting as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Anybody can find it online. Um, It's in the Indianapolis area. The founder of it had a son who was suffering from bipolar disorder, and it was disrupting the family life. Um, He couldn't get out of bed. He couldn't handle schoolwork. He was at war with his parents and his siblings and was Mm -hmm. becoming violent. And so the parents at this point knew that the mental health problems were not going to be addressed uh, by the medical health community or the educational communities, because so often the services are either expensive or they're, they're sent away. Mm-hmm. And so they were not happy with the options that they had. And at the same time, they had taken a vacation to a ranch in Montana And they came up with this crazy idea and they called the ranch owners and they said, do you have any position that you could give our son? And would you be interested in hosting him for the summer or maybe longer? And do they understand that he has serious challenges? And they, this ranch family agreed and they took him on. And during the time that he worked there and for some time thereafter that he said, we believe the ranch experience prolonged and improved his life and mm-hmm. the separation saved our family intolerable damage. It gave Ben the much needed self-confidence and time to mature because of what had happened with his experience on the ranch and how much improvement it had you know brought out in him this father started this organization called Ben's Ranch and the time that these young people have with animals is so helpful in the maturing process and even in just working out some of the emotional things that they're dealing with with mental health issues there's something very healing about being out in nature and then the fact that he was with the horses and it was not you know glorified work by any means he was sh- sh- shoveling manure you know day after day <laughs> yeah right but- he would say that he really enjoyed the job because he could see the benefits of what he had done and that he could see the progress of cleaning out these stalls. And, you know, he would watch as they would take the horses out to the pasture. He would fill the horses troughs with water. And he just felt like he was contributing something. And I think so often when a kid has a problem, they need those tangible reinforcements of, an identity where they're self-confident and where they can make a difference.
1: I love that. And that's something, you know, we're quick to slap a label on something and throw medicine at it, which is not what you needed to do in that moment because your son was, that was the problem to begin with. Right. He was self-medicating. Right. Right. So there are other options out there that we can explore.
0: Right.
1: And this one worked for your son. That's really good. As a mother, this has been such a difficult path to walk through, how helpless you must have felt. And you talk about that in your chapter, Runaway Train, mm-hmm. just sitting on the sidelines and what can we do? We, You have to give up control, really is what it is. And I don't know, for a mom, that just must have been so heartbreaking. So what was the most difficult part for you going through this experience?
0: Well, I think every mother wonders what they could have done differently to avoid the path that they're on. And even if without the sense of judgment that often comes from others, you know, the idea of you obviously didn't parent this child well, or they wouldn't have gone off course, or our children would never face this problem because we've done everything to raise them in the church and in the knowledge of the Lord. Even without that external criticism that comes, there's a wealth of internal doubt and criticism. So you just seem to go back and retrace your steps, wishing that there was a way that you could turn back time and do something differently to get a different result. But I think maybe that's a misperception Hmm. because it's a heightening of our own personal power as if by what we do as a parent, we can somehow keep our child from ever encountering evil.
1: Right. But Jesus did not promise us that we would not have trouble in this world. I mean, his words directly to us were, uh, you're going to have trouble. Look out, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And that's where you need to put your hope in. Right. But the outcome doesn't depend on us. Even
0: when we think it's depending on us, the outcome depends on God.
1: Yeah. I bookmarked the chapter called Frequent Flyer on if only airlines. And this chapter resonated with me so much because I live so much of my life in punishing myself for things that I should have done or I could have done. Or what if this had happened? What if we had just seen this coming? Or what if I had just done this or said this or didn't say that? But sometimes we just have to stand back for a minute and trust, you know, and even when the bad things come along, even when something horrible happens, to know that God is still in control. Yeah. And he does still have a plan. But that can be such a difficult thing to claim and to believe when you're walking through it. And I think that's true. We want to be able
0: to control something. So we want to be able to step in and make the changes as if it did depend on us. Yeah. But we have to learn that it There's nothing we can do often in circumstances like this that is going to change the outcome. Absolutely. I read a book called Better Than My Dreams. And in that book, there was a section where she talked about Jim Elliott and Jim Elliott outlining that nothing that happens is outside of God's understanding or control or nothing catches him unaware and i think that was what triggered this poem because i do i i do the if only if only if this had happened then maybe he would be fine and it when i realize that what was is what happened and i can't change it by going back and saying if only this had happened differently but god is completely aware of what happened and only if i see him in the situation can i be healed of that what if
1: yeah So what was your source of strength during this time?
0: Well, I had an interesting situation in that I was in a BSF class and another woman in the group shared her testimony with our small group saying that she had had a son that um, broke his leg and started on the pain medication. And from there, he descended into addiction to drugs. And the Lord brought her into my life at just this moment right before my own son broke his leg. And um, we think that possibly someone at school said, "Well, hey, I can give you something that'll help alleviate this pain, that'll you know help you get through this scenario." Mm-hmm. And um, it was she stepped into my life at that moment and was able to listen to my cry. And able to redirect me to the Lord and say, well, every time that you can't think of what to say to God, every time that you're staring into space, just let him comfort you and Mm -hmm. let him remind you that he's in control. And so for me, her presence in my life was almost like a preparation for what I was going to walk through. Not only did this person go through it, so it's survivable, mm-hmm. but that that somebody could listen to me when I was crying out in anguish and say, I've been there. I know what you're experiencing, I know the anguish, I know the hurt, I know the fear. And it's it's another evidence that he is with us every step of the way. He knows what we're going to encounter yep. before we encounter it. Yeah. God does things like that and it just blows me away. <laughs>
1: I know. I feel like sometimes am I ever going to get to a point where I'm not amazed at what God is <laughs> God does. You know, I should just expect it, but yet when it does happen, that's our response is just to be so thankful and amazed.
0: Yeah. One of the very neat things that happened as a result of this whole experience was that my husband and I had not really spent a whole lot of time praying together until this happened. And ever since we were thrust into this path that we didn't want, um, we have prayed every morning together and we pray for him. Mm -hmm. And our prayer is kind of bold because we pray that God would turn him into a minister of the gospel and a soul winner and he can do the impossible. Yes, so right. it may still seem impossible for us now, but God is the God of the impossible.
1: That's right. He is. So t- let's talk for a minute about your marriage. You obviously you had to come together uh, on this in a di- in a completely new way that you were not expecting. You know, and you take those vows when you get married for better or for worse. You don't pray for the worst. Right. <laughs> you know there's going to be bumps along the road but you don't you, you're not expecting these huge you know catastrophic things happening in your life so would you say that th- walking through this you've grown closer together in your marriage It's been a
0: balancing act because I think in any marriage, you have two people who come from two different backgrounds. And so there will be different approaches and that can lead to a lot of tension and conflict. And we experienced a lot of that tension and conflict. Um, I think that that's a, a fairly common thing to have the tension. And so I do have a poem in the collection.
1: The Baggage Complicates. Yes,
0: that's the one. So we we come to the situation with our own baggage, and so we have tendencies to respond from the ways that we think would solve the problem. And I think one of the things that I appreciate about my husband's approach is that his is very grace-based. So his emphasis has always been through this, this situation that we need to keep the lines of communication open. And where I have a tendency to come down in a way that I want to enforce rules. But I think that that is, you know, not really beneficial a lot of times because it ends up driving the child away rather than calling them into relationship with you. Um, I had read a book by Paul David Tripp called The Age of Opportunity. And his whole premise is that when you're in that time of raising teenagers, some of the very things that incense us about teenagers reflect sin issues within ourselves. And his core truth is that our teenagers are more like us than they are unlike us. And all the spiritual needs that we recognize in our teenagers are in some way identifiable in us. Mm. So, on, a, on plenty of occasions, I've approached my Heavenly Father with this attitude of I know everything, I know what's best for me, but Tripp's approach is that we need to show them grace and we need to keep those lines of communication o- open because a rules and regulation approach that focuses on keeping your teenager out of trouble will ultimately fail because it doesn't deal with the heart. So the important thing is that we produce a fruit that will not decay as soon as those pressures are are withdrawn. And only God can make that heart change.
1: Only God. Yep. We can establish the foundation that they need to step off from, but right. ultimately only God can do that. And um, I don't know, I, I've talked to my kids a lot, both of my kids, a lot about their faith and how I can give you the tools. I can show you the right way but ultimately your faith is your faith and you have to make mm-hmm. that decision for yourself. Giving them that that foundation and where to go from and allowing, like just trusting that God is going to do these things. It might not be on our time or in our way or whatever, but we can still trust that, that God has a plan. Definitely. So you you use a lot of scripture in your writing. I love that. Obviously your writing has been, greatly influenced by scripture, but just are there scripture verses that you were led to while you were writing this book? Or did it just as you were writing, did the scriptures come to mind? Well, it was
0: definitely a two-way street because many times I would be reading scripture in my morning devotions and just come across something that I felt was very key to enduring my situation. For example, the poem Still, Mm -hmm. where I was reading about The time when the Israelites were pushed up against the water and the enemy is encroaching and we don't know how to handle this. And God says, be still and watch what I will do and how difficult that is to still ourselves. Mm -hmm. So some of the poems come directly from interacting with god's word but other times there would be a situation or a scenario or sometimes even just an image for example i have one of the poems called residual stench and it's about the time when my two boys went next door to where they were building a new house and the lot was excessively muddy and full of who knows what and they came home and one wash one left quickly because he didn't want to have that on him. The other one thought, well, this is great. I'm just going to walk around in this mud and I'm just going to wash it off later. But when he went to wash it off, he couldn't get the smell off. And so that image just stuck with me. And I felt, you know, that's a lot like our kids in that some of them can get into a situation And immediately see danger and say, I'm going to step away from this because this is not good for me. I'm going to get out. And yet others, we don't know. They might be entranced by what they're experiencing. They might like the feel of that mud between their toes. And they might linger too long before they know to get out of where the danger is. But through it all, I wanted the poetry to be solidly grounded in God's words so that I wasn't merely giving my own opinions about hand, how to handle a life with a prodigal. Yeah. I wanted to be responding to the life path that I'm forced to walk by filtering every aspect through the lens of his word.
1: Yeah, and the truths that we have in God's word, sometimes we read a passage a hundred times, but it depends on what we're going through in that particular time in our lives that we're reading that, mm-hmm. It we interpret it differently or we we can apply it differently. So your faith, has obviously changed, I'm sure, walking through this. Tell us a little bit about where you started and where you are now, as far as your faith is concerned.
0: I think through the process of the experience and through the process of writing about the experience, I came to recognize how very much like my son I am. In God's eyes, I am every bit the prodigal and I have run from his paths while he is waiting for my return. And I see how much our departure grieves him. Mm. And I see how patient and gracious he is toward us. And his Holy Spirit prompts us to see how worthless and void our own provisions end up being. And that's the way that he draws us back to him when we finally recognize, okay, the way I'm doing it, I'm coming up empty. Yeah. This is no better than corn husks. I can go back to the father's home and I can be sitting with him and and dining. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, I was just thinking, the Lord just kind of brought this back up to mind. When we started out talking today, you mentioned a difficult thing that some people in your church were telling you things like, this wouldn't have happened if you had more faith. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a lie. That's a (laughs) lie from the pit. And we have to squash that immediately in, in the way we approach people who are dealing with mental illness or drug addiction, you name it. No one is exempt from any of these things. And Mm -hmm. how we respond within the church to our fellow Christians and believers sets the table for how we respond to those outside of the church. And I feel like it's easier for us to address those bigger problems when we don't know the person because we can just walk away from it. But when we're in community with, with each other, we have to see each other and know, and maybe I don't know how to respond. So what would have been helpful for you as far as a response from your Christian community? What would have been the proper way to respond? Let's talk about that. Well, I think
0: with even across the board in general, when a Christian is hurting I think a lot of times we want to say, it'll be okay, just, you know, you should just have faith in God. And that's a really difficult thing to say to someone who is in the fire Mm -hmm. at the moment. And even with the situation with my prodigal, I experienced several people who came to me and said, Well, you seem to be in so much anguish over this that you're not, you're allowing your circumstances to dictate your faith. And I don't think that that's true. In fact, I was reading a book on prayer recently by C.S. Lewis. It's his letters to Malcolm chiefly about prayer. Mm -hmm. And he pointed out the passage where Christ in Gethsemane prays to God saying, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. And he sweat drops of blood. Mm -hmm. His anguish was so great. And C.S. Lewis's point was that the anguish itself in reaction to this trial that you're under is not necessarily sin. It is not necessarily a lack of faith. It is anguish that could be part of the faith experience. You can have anguish and still be faithfully believing that God is there for you. Mm And so I think that when we encounter people who are going through difficulties, be it from mental health issues or from a prodigal nature or other evil, I think it's important for us to say, I'm praying for you. Yes. Not have answers, Mm -hmm. not come and say, I think this is what you should do
1: or. You're not doing this. You know, you didn't you missed the mark in some way.
0: Right. It's something that you did that's causing what you're experiencing. Because a lot of times it's just what God has allowed you to walk through. Mm -hmm. And it could be a wilderness. And he's allowing you to go through that. And he's going to be with you every step of the way.
1: Mm. Yeah. Thank you for talking about that because that's important. So what is the main thing that you want your readers to know when they pick up your book? Um, I think, like I
0: said before, we are, every one of us, prodigal to the core. We want our own way. We don't want anyone telling us how to live our lives. We think we know what's best for us, and yet God delights in drawing us as prodigals back into his loving arms. He died so that we could have restored relationship with the Father.
1: Yeah, and how the Father just draws us back to him lovingly. What a beautiful thing. So your son has walked through this. Is How is he doing now? He's had some further
0: challenges, but at this point, I believe that he is clean. He tells us that he's clean. He tests clean, but whether or not we are done with this um, walk is hard to say. He still has friendships with people who are in that culture. And a lot of times You know, people will come and they'll say, you should just forbid those friendships. And it's easy to, to, again, think that you can enforce rules that will then change the child. But the child has to, as you said, has to make it personal. And it has to be a heart change that comes from within them, not from something external pushed on them and said, well, you will not associate with these people because they're bad for you.
1: Yep. Is your son must be must have a little bit of stubbornness in him, I'm I'm assuming. (laughs) (laughs) He gets that from me as well, I think. (laughs) So
0: he does he live in your home with you or he does for now. Okay. And that is something that I am grateful for every minute that I have it because I'm not assured that it will last. So one of the things that I've been very diligent in trying to do is taking him out for lunch where we can just sit and talk. And that's why I feel like our communication is is there. And that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Those lines of communication are open. And the fact that you have already established what your role is in all of this, you know, you are there for him, you love him, you want him to come out on the other side, successful as an adult, you know, now. Right. Has he graduated high school? Uh,
0: He graduated early. So he is done with high school. And I was wanting to share a a little praise story because um, we were talking about how our influence, he knows where we stand on things. He knows where we're at. Well, a lot of the things that we think might be just not being absorbed. The other day, his girlfriend's grandfather went to the hospital and when he came home, he said to his dad, Would you be praying for her grandfather? I prayed the whole way home, the oh. whole drive home. Oh, wow. And we were just both in the background. <laughs> Trying not to do high fives, but right. feeling very high five um wanting anyway. Yes, yeah. like inside
1: screaming inside yes. with celebration. Very good.
0: very good, right. Oh, that he is gets it. He gets where the help comes from.
1: That is fantastic. I love yeah. that scripture, and I know we use it often when we talk about our kids, but from Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is older, he will not stray from it. Eventually, right. those truths come back. The Lord reminds us of those those things, and you've established mm-hmm. that with Him, that foundation for mm-hmm. Him to to grow from. It's not always in the way we want. <laughs> right. It's not always in the perfect little package with a bow on it. Every kid is different. Every journey is different. Is there any practical advice you can give to our listeners who may be going through something similar and? Let's just circle back to the the mental health portion of this. A practical advice you can give to someone who's who is a parent or or a friend or someone who's watching someone walk through this or or walking through it themselves. How, what kind of advice would you give? I guess for me, just as the heavenly father does,
0: never stop loving, never stop listening never stop waiting for them to return or even to just see you know, what it is that what they're doing is doing to them. Because whether it's a mental health journey or a drug addiction or whatever, never stop waiting for them. And then as a prodigal myself, And as we are prodigals, Mm -hmm. just get to know the father as best you can saturate every situation in conversation with God and seek guidance from his word. The two best weapons that we have for battle when forced to travel in the enemy's field. And one of my poems is, is titled that wounds in the enemy's field, because a lot of times we are wounded as we walk out into the enemy's field. The two best weapons for that battle are scripture and prayer.
1: Yeah, that's great advice. Well, you certainly write with others in mind. As you wrote in your last prayer, open my eyes to perceive another's pain. And I love that too, how we can be aware of those around us as well. And like you said, be available and um, be a good listener. So are you continuing your writing? Are you still writing? (laughs) I've written a few
0: more poems, but I think that possibly if I were to write another book of poetry, I would probably make it more general. And there are general poems within the collection. Mm -hmm. So the collection is not necessarily just for parents who have prodigals. One of the poems that is my sister's favorite is called Altered Perspective. And it talks about how our vision is so limited sometimes, and we need to align our vision to his and what we think might be, you know, a problem could have a promise within it. What we think is a obstacle could be an opportunity, you know, and just the fact that we we don't often perceive things through the father's lens and we need to get into his vision of what is going on so that we can get through whatever it is that God has thrown in our path. And I was kind of wanting if I could share a poem that's not in the book, but it is an example of what I've been saying about how our situation with a mental health issue or with a prodigal or with something that stems from mental health can lead us into his presence And so I wrote this poem called Chaos to Cathedral, and it kind of goes with the cover of my book because the cover of my book is an actual picture of my property and the image of the trees coming up together and kind of forming a cathedral. And so this poem came out of that image.
1: Yes, please share.
0: It's called Chaos to Cathedral. As he wanders, he leads me to your sanctuary. Trunks of anguish gently morph into portals of praise. My eyes on the forest floor hinder my understanding. But when widened, take in your vast sovereign plan. Wilderness becomes cathedral.
1: That's beautiful. How often have I driven down a road where that's happened, where the forest has has grown up over and the shade it brings, you know, as you're driving through? It has that cathedral look where the, the limbs of
0: the trees at the top kind of come together
1: yeah.
0: and give that cathedral effect. And we don't like to be in the wilderness. We don't like to have to endure that. But it can become a cathedral where we can praise him from those trunks
1: of anguish. yes. And I do love how this picture on the front of your book is the winter when the trees are barren, and so and when we walk through these difficult times, that's what it feels like. It feels like yeah, death. It feels like you're walking through literally the valley of death, but where the Lord's there too, like He is right. there for you too, creating beauty out of those dead things, and so. What a beautiful, beautiful picture that paints. Okay, Wendy, our listeners want to know, how can we get a hold of this book?
0: Well, the best way to support me directly in this book is to purchase the book through my publisher, which is called Book Baby, and it is also available on Amazon.
1: All right, and we will include the links where you can purchase Wendy's book watching the wayward psalms for parents of prodigals on the website Well, Wendy, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm so grateful yeah. that you were able to share your story.
0: Sure, it was great to be with you and to discuss the influence that mental health has on our young people today and just how many people are in the throes of this journey and God is right there
1: with us. Yeah. Thank you so much. I loved listening to Wendy's story, and I loved reading her book because she writes from a place where she has fully placed her trust in the Lord, knowing ultimately that it's God who brings the victory, and it's our job to trust. And if you go to our website, uscwomensministries.com, on the Prepare Podcast page, you'll see the links where you can purchase her book, Watching the Wayward, Psalms for Parents of Prodigals. Again, listeners, If you or a loved one is struggling with anything mental health related, I urge you to reach out. And if you don't have anyone you trust, you can simply pick up the phone and call the National Suicide and Crisis Hotline by dialing the numbers 988. We also have mentioned several times in these podcasts that you can also find help on the National Alliance for Mental Illness, or NAMI, website at nami.org. Well, that's all for today. And as always, I hope that this podcast has left you feeling prepared and equipped for tomorrow. And I'll see you real soon. God bless you.